I was really unsettled. The year was 1977, and I was not yet 19 years old. And this is how I look. Okay. <laughs> Silhouette almost, a uh, great picture. You know, other than uh, uh, national service training in Taiwan, I've never been out of Singapore, not even to JB uh, when I was uh, 17. And, and here I was in Manchester, England, uh, just about one month in a foreign country uh, where I, I was, uh, went to university. And on the 30th of October 1977, I went to this church, an Anglican, they call it a low Anglican church. So it looks low, uh, meaning it's not those high liturgical ones. Uh, this one is very contemporary. Uh, Brunswick Parish Church, I went there at 8.30. You know, actually, I went there, usually I'm very early. Okay? I went there, I think about 7, uh, seven plus um, in the morning, and there was no one there. Everything was locked. So I was really puzzled. So I started walking back to the hostel, and, and I thought, oh gosh, I'm left behind. I'm left behind. The, the church has raptured, and I'm left behind. I've never heard of daylight savings. You know, there are two days in a year in those, in those countries where you adjust your clocks and watches. Uh, the catchphrase is spring forward, fall backward. So spring, first Sunday of April, you wind your clocks and your watches at 2 a.m. forward, you make it 3 a.m. on the first Sunday of April. And then on the last Sunday of October, which in 1977, uh, at 2 a.m. on the 30th of October, you wind your clocks back to 1 a.m. So I actually appeared in church about 6.30 in the morning. One thing to go for an 8.30 uh, service. I was almost two hours too early. And so, at the ripe old age of 18 plus, it was the most unsettling and alarming experience that I had. I thought I was left behind. Because, you see, at that time, I did not have the blessing of coming under the preaching of one Edwin Chua, who last week taught us all those things about the end uh, of, of the world, the end times. If I had been, then I would not have been alarmed. I would not have been unsettled. But you know, other than the fear of being left behind, what else in life would unsettle you or alarm you? What else in life? I think it is the opposite, right? It would be about death. And did you know that 20% of all traffic accidents um, happen in a car? So, would the lesson be, don't travel in a car? Or 17% of all accidents happen at home, so don't stay at home. Um, and 14 of all accidents happen to pedestrians, so don't be a pedestrian. And 16% of all accidents occur, uh, uh, happen either by air, by sea, or by rail, including MRT. So, don't travel. And this one takes the cake. 32% of all deaths occur in hospitals. So, don't go to a hospital. Ironically, the very task of a hospital is to save you, right? But you'll be very pleased to know there is one place on earth where only 0.001% of deaths occur, and that is in church services. So, we are in a, in a good place, and this is the safest place to be at any given point in time at a church service. So then, always, safety first. Attend church. It could save your life in more ways than one, right? if you know what I mean. So now that we are safely in PPH, 
Let's turn to the text today, which is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to chapter 3, verse 5. So reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, from, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to, to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. There is a very important pivot in this few in, in this passage, and, and that pivot is found in verse 15. So then, or in other translations, therefore, so then, therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And you've probably heard this phrase before, we must find out what the therefore is there for. So then, we can stand firm in a faith. Why can we stand firm in a faith? It's because in this passage, we are loved by God, we are saved by God, we are sanctified in the Spirit, we have a belief in the truth, and we share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so then, brothers, stand firm. Hold on to the teachings because we are loved by God, saved by God, sanctified by the Spirit, believe in the truth, share in the glory of our Lord Jesus. Therefore, so then, we can stand firm. There's a, a famous American pastor called Donald Barnhouse, and he wrote this, this wonderful uh, poem. And let me just read it out for you. He says, we have a relationship that can never be changed. We are children of the Most High. We have a righteousness that can never be tarnished, the very righteousness of Christ Himself. We have a resource that can never be diminished, the power of the Spirit of God. We have a peace that can never be destroyed. It is the God of peace Himself. We have a joy that can never be surpassed. The Scriptures call it joy unspeakable and full of glory. We have a love that will never let us go. God's unconditional love. We have an intercessor whose prayers can never go unanswered, the Spirit of Christ within us. We have a sovereign Lord who can never lose control, the King of kings himself. Therefore, so then, we can stand firm and hold on. Hold on, but how? How do we stand firm? We can stand firm by applying God's Word. We stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Now, before we can apply the word 
we need to stand firm by holding to the teachings, or actually a more literal translation is holding to the traditions that the apostles pass on to us, whether by word of mouth, by the spoken word, or by the written word. Holding on to the traditions. The Greek word is paradosis, which occurs 13 times in the New Testament. And usually it has a negative connotation. It's like, oh, the traditions of the elders, the, the, the traditions of men, and that you should not stand on the tradition of, of men. But three times it is used positively in the New Testament. One of those times would be here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. We hold on to the traditions as we hold on to apostolic truth from the words of the apostles or from the writings of the apostles. The word which eventually became the Gospels, eventually became the Epistles. And you know, why were the Thessalonians un unsettled? We, we learned from First and Second Thessalonians that, that uh, it, yeah, it was the fa fear of being left behind, that uh, Christ has come and we're left behind. But there's another clue can be found in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul, the Apostle Paul, said was true. And so the Bereans did their Bible study. They searched the Scriptures every day. They were of more noble character, but not so the Thessalonians apparently. Now, if the Thessalonians were in church, they did not listen attentively to the preacher. If they had studied their scriptures like they did with Edwin Chua last week, they would have learned that Christ's return would be a very public event, that there'll be a shout from the Lord, there'll be a call from the archangel, there will be the sound of trumpets, and therefore they ought not to be uh, alarmed or unsettled. And if they look further, they would have found a verse like Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, which I, I believe Edwin also mentioned, that at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and all will see Christ coming. You will know. Now, in old days, um, people wondered about this, this verse. It's like, ah, how can it be? How can everybody in the world see Christ coming until TV came along. And I said, oh yeah, that is very possible. And now, live streaming is very, very possible to see Christ coming all at the same time, just as we all saw the Twin Towers fall at the same time all over the world. So then, brothers, stand firm by applying the Word of God. But before you can apply the Word of God, you've got to get a hold of the Word of God. You've got to get a grip on a good grasp of the Word of God. And do you know why I am not a tennis player? Well, years ago, I attended my one and only tennis uh, lesson. It was one free lesson, so I attended. And the coach spent one hour explaining the grip, explaining how to grip the tennis racket, and we never even got to play one stroke. We never hit the ball. And so I gave up. I gave up. I was just too impatient to, to learn all these basics. I never got a grasp on the grip. 
So I never learned the basics. So now we, let, let's go back to the basics. How do we get a grasp on the Word of God? Well, some of you may know that in PPH, we have M1 to M4. Okay? M1 is a, a blue booklet that we use to, um, for baptism classes, okay? all the basic uh, stuff. And by the way, yeah, I want to make an announcement on baptism. 6th of December, the first Sunday of December, we will have a baptism. So if you are looking to be baptized, do let us know, and then you will look through this blue booklet uh, called M1, which is uh, Discovering Church Membership. In M2, we have this book, uh, orange one, which is Discovering Spiritual Maturity, all the basics of Bible study and, and prayer and giving and all that. And in the Bible study part, it suggests six ways to get a grasp of, uh, on your Bible. Um, so we have the image, image of, a, of a hand, the first thing you do is to read. Okay, and here, we, I don't mean just a casual uh, reading as you just pick it up and flip to any old page and you read half a page. I'm talking about a planned, purposeful reading. And in this guide, we have all kinds of plans. And then if you read that uh, passage, you tick, tick, tick. But uh, that's really old technology. We, we, we have much, much easier ways uh, to do this now. So you would probably know about this U version. What I personally do for reading is I subscribe to this plan that I will read through the New Testament in one year. And uh, it just appears every day. And I will read through the Old Testament in two years. So in two years, I would have read through the Old Testament once and I would have read through the New Testament twice. And, and I've done this for years now. So I cannot remember how many times I've read through uh, the Bible. So I want to encourage you to have a planned purposeful way to, to read the Bible. Don't, don't just flip here and flip there and jump here and jump there. Set a goal. Okay? Finish the Bible in one year or finish the Bible in two years or, or whatever. So you've got to read it. And secondly, we've got to hear, hear to listen. And again, if, if you don't want or your eyes are tired, you can listen, right? The U version, you just click uh, something and it, it speaks to you. You can listen to the Bible. But more than that, you can listen to, to preaching uh, to sermons. You guys, of all uh, people here, will know what podcasts are. Uh, PPH sermons are on podcasts. You can listen to very, very famous uh, preachers all over the world uh, for free. So I would encourage you to do that because uh, as I drive now, as I go to the gym and I'm in the toilet, I'm constantly listening to uh, some Christian, some Christian uh, teaching, and, and that is really very helpful. Um, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says we must pay more careful attention therefore to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. And uh, let me see, nobody here is yet drifting away. You know what I mean, right? As I'm droning on here and there and then you start drifting away. And that's why it's important as we listen to, to take notes uh, that the magnitude of what you can absorb depends really a lot on your attitude. You know, sometimes uh, like among the elders or, or among um, some Christian leaders, we listen to a sermon and we'll say, hey, actually, today I didn't learn anything from this preacher. You know? and, and I feel that I'm not, I'm not fat. And I hear that quite a lot, unfortunately, that I'm not fat, pastor, because I didn't learn anything from this particular preacher. But not so Edwin Chua. Not so Edwin Chua. Because you see, Edwin is always taking notes. Now, it helps him to listen, helps him to process, and when you talk to him, he will always have something positive to say about this preacher. Sometimes even as elders, we talk, oh, this one, not so good. Nah. 
Then he will say, oh, but I learned this, but I learned that. Whereas for me, it's like lousy preacher, can't learn anything. So it's not like that, right? So there's a difference between hearing and, and, and listening. In fact, one time, okay, the person is not here. One person told me, Pastor, your preaching cannot. Because I cannot take notes. I got no notes to take. It's like, I don't give enough good food for this person to be able to take notes. So do take notes because it helps us to absorb. It prevents us from drifting away. So thirdly, study. We read the Bereans studied the scriptures. They searched it to see if what Paul said was true. And that's for the Apostle Paul. What about here? So reading is good, but we need to study and that is to to look intensely, to try and understand. And here, it's always helpful to talk about one husband with five wives. Right? If you see there, it's one H and five W. Who, what, where, who, who, where, why. You can think of it only as a song. And how. Right? So when you, when you read the Bible, we always got to ask, so how? So how? It's not like, otherwise it becomes just theoretical knowledge. Right? You got to ask how. The famous word, yes, but how? learning how to apply, study the scriptures. And then memorize. Okay, yesterday we had the kindergarten graduation uh, concert. It was incredible. All these young kids, like, they, they can memorize. They memorized such long introduction to the performance and, and all that. It was really incredible. They can do it. Some of you can do it. I can't do it. I simply cannot memorize, but I can osmosize. And that's why it's so important for me to read, to have a, a reading plan for the Bible. So after I read through the Bible and this passage many, many times, it comes in. It comes in. And so now, I may not memorize exactly word for word the Bible, but I, I get the gist of it, and, and sometimes I can memorize uh, the whole verse. So that is very important. Put the Word of God in your heart. Psalm 119, verse 11, you know, I have hidden your word in my heart. Nobody can take it away so that I might not sin against you. And then meditate. Meditate. Um, the, the, the root of the word meditate is actually to chew, like a cow chewing, uh, just to, to reflect and to think about the word of God. Someone you will know, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So let the word of God seep through uh, uh, and, and constantly remind ourselves of the Word of God. Some of us will have it on our phone. Some of us will put it in our car or on our mirror uh, as we uh, brush our teeth or something. So all this is very good to, to, to read, to hear, to study, to memorize, to meditate. But in some sense, it's, it's still only information. What we need is transformation, that it will touch our lives. And to have that transformation, we need application. It's got to be applied Otherwise, it's, it's meaningless, it's useless. And we all know that famous verse in James chapter 1, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So when we get a good grip of the word, then we can apply it. Otherwise, it's purely academic. And one aspect of applying the word of God is, is simple obedience. Just do what it says as James chapter 1 tells us, when the Bible says, love your neighbor, go find a neighbor and love the neighbor. When the Bible says, be kind to one another, we be kind 
And don't let your talk be unwholesome. Let your speech be gracious. We just obey. Another aspect of applying the Word of God is to learn how to use the Bible. What verses to use in what situations? Now, for some of us might be familiar with the Gideon's Bible. You know, the Gideon's Bible that they put in hotel rooms when you go on holiday, and sometimes they distribute to classrooms uh, to, to children. And the Gideon Bible, always in the front, has a few pages that points you to verses that can help you in different situations. So I went to search for it on the Gideon's International uh, website, and, and it'll be things like this. If you need comfort in times of loneliness, comfort in times of sorrow, uh, protection in times of danger, guidance in times of, of decision, you can find those verses in the Bible. And you ought to know those verses that will, that will help you. Another one would be uh, where to find help when what? When you're afraid, when you're anxious, when you're depressed, when you're bitter, uh, when you're bereaved, uh, when you're facing a crisis. So you need to have that good a grasp on the Word of God to know where to find help and to know where to find help perhaps to help someone else uh, uh, other than yourselves. So that grasp of the Word of God is very important. And you stand firm in applying the Word of God. And, and it's really so true. So true. I, I think of the key events uh, in, in my own life that had had me uh, shaken. You know, like having to confess to some authority that, that I was dishonest and I, I had lied. And what, what kept me firm, how, what kept me true to the faith was the Word of God. And like being taken out of flying training when you're in the Air Force is kind of like, you know, then, then what good are you in the Air Force? And, and that, that time was so stressful. Where do I turn to? I turned to the Word of God. The Psalms were such a comfort uh, uh, to me, even though it was my own fault. Like when I was jobless, where do I turn to? I turned to Habakkuk, where the verse was, uh, the fig tree does not bud, uh, the, the, there are no grapes on the vine, the, the, your storehouse is empty, right? and your bank account is going down, 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 down. But yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet, I will be joyful in God. And that gave me so much uh, comfort. And, and when you have to do something right that goes against the grain, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because in this situation, I cannot be king. God's got to be king. It's His kingdom. It's His righteousness. And then He will supply my need. And those are the times when the Word of God comes alive in, in your life. And, and that's what you stand on. There's nothing else uh, to stand on. And so the Word of God, getting a firm grip on the Word of God, is, is that key resource to our own lives as well as a key resource to helping somebody. Now, go for counselling courses by all means. Learn the basics of listening to someone and, and counselling someone. But what, what do we stand on? Apart from the Word of God, we've got nothing to offer if we don't have the Word of God uh, in order to help someone. So that's really important. So we stand firm by applying the Word of God. And we stand firm by abounding in the work of God. The Word of God is to be applied in abounding in the work of the Lord. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Encourage, may the Lord encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The word deed in Greek is ergon. It's also translated as work. And so I turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, the very famous verse, verse that talks about work. Therefore, my, my beloved brother, brothers, be steadfast, 
immovable, as in stand firm, always abounding in the ergon, in the deeds of the Lord, in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. But to put it in context, in 1 Corinthians, first Paul talked about victory, victory over the enemy, victory over the last enemy, victory over death. And because you have that victory, therefore, you can be immovable, steadfast, and therefore, always abound in the work of the Lord. In the NIV, abounding in the work of the Lord is translated as always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And when I check through the, the, the definition, uh, the other words that are used for abounding would be lavish, to be lavish in the work of the Lord, to excel, to be excellent in the work of the, of, of the Lord more and more and overflow, abandon, arms high and hearts abandoned to the work of the Lord. That is, you don't hold back. It's not restrained. So what kind of work should I abound in? You abound in the work of the Lord. What does that mean? Does that mean like only Christian, churchy kind of work? That was exactly what the Thessalonians did because they think that Christ has come or is going to come very soon. So stop work. Stop work. If you know that Christ is going to come tomorrow, stop school, stop work, right? Just stay in bed and wait for Him <laughs> to take you away. That was what the Thessalonians were, were doing. And I come across this story of, uh, I don't know how, whether it was fictitious or not, but let me read it to you and see what you think. A conversation between Average Joe and his uh, pastor. So Average Joe said this, Pastor, do you ever feel guilty when you challenge lay people to church ministry? Do you ever feel guilty about laying heavy ministry burdens on already busy people? And so the pastor replied, My young friend, let me describe to you the people you're going to meet at our church today, uh, uh, now. So you're going to meet some wonderful people who stand at machines every day, 10 hours a day, 5 or 6 days a week, producing some widget that goes into some other gadget. And when they go home at night, they're not feeling wildly fulfilled uh, from all the joy and meaning they experience from standing at their machines. For them, the machines do not deliver a lot of purpose to their lives. And you're going to meet some people in real estate who show 30 houses a week and often not a single one of those potential buyers even make an offer. And I don't think those real estate agents sit at home on Sunday evenings with a deep sense of satisfaction uh, flowing from their inner being. And you're going to meet some insurance agents who have been selling policies for 20 years and for most of them, there's little thrill left in their daily routine. You're going to meet car dealers and stockbrokers and bankers and bricklayers and police officers and plumbers who work hard day in and day out. And while some of them still get a kick, of what they, kick out of what they do, many of them are just trying to put food on the table. The best of them were probably uh, doing all they can to give God glory in their workplace. And the most fortunate of them may be blessed to have a significant impact on their co co-workers, but few of them will derive ultimate satisfaction from their jobs. We, we have been given the unspeakable privilege of inviting people just like what I have described into what might be the only involvement in their lives that makes them feel like an instrument in the hands of the Almighty, that gives them a thrill of knowing that the Creator God had used them to touch a human life. So in answer to your question, young man, no, I never feel guilty of inviting people to become volunteers in church. Never. What do you think? What do you think? 
What do you think of this pastor's response? I have a really big problem with this pastor. The, 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 the line of thinking and the theology is to me all wrong. And, and it's not, it's like, oh, spiritual and secular. And not even that, it's spiritual and more spiritual. There's a huge dichotomy. It's like sweeping the floor of the church is more fulfilling work than sweeping the floor of your workplace. It suggests that. And, and this is Uncle Tang. Uncle Tang from Taipan Gardens. He used to live in Block 10. Uh, now moved to Block 20 or 23. Let me tell you the story of how we, how we met him. We were going door to door in the year 2003, if I'm not wrong. And he showed us a contract and this widget that he got that cost $1,500. I think he paid a down payment. He was supposed to pay in full. It was a brand new vacuum cleaner. One of those that you have water one. $1,500. He doesn't know how to use it. He doesn't have a need for it. It was only him and his wife uh, in that three-room flat. And so our CSE staff looked at this whole situation and I think he got conned, right, for something that he doesn't need and so expensive. And they were all retirees with no income. So we went to the salesman and we threatened and we don't know what we did. We got the money back. We got the money back. And he was so thankful. He started coming to church. We baptized him and his wife, Lim Mei. I remember Lim Mei speaks a, a form of Teochew that very few people can understand. Uh, but they felt the love here. We baptized. Then she passed away. We did a funeral. And soon after she passed away, um, we, we, I can't remember if we did help him uh, get a job in Commonwealth Secondary School, which is walking distance from Teban Gardens. And he became a cleaner there. And one Sunday, I took a picture because I saw him cleaning, uh, sweeping away all the leaves that were sort of dirtying our, our leaf uh, lobby there. Is there a difference between him sweeping the floor of the church and sweeping the floor of the school? So I think the focus is not so much on the work of the Lord as in work, but of the Lord. If he in the school was doing his work in the Lord, he would be giving glory to God. If he comes to church and he wants to sweep the floor, he also gives glory to God. So the focus is not on the work. The focus is, is it of the Lord? Whatever you do in school, whatever you do in your workplaces, is it of the Lord? If it's not of the Lord, then better get out of there uh, quickly. But if it is, then you abound. You do it lavishly. You give yourself uh, fully uh, to it, just as Uncle Tang did. And early this year, we lost him. We lost him for several months. We said, we don't see him in church anymore. What happened to him? And we started asking around, yeah, yeah, none of us have seen him. So we were all very concerned. We knocked on his door. There was no reply. There was no smell. <laughs> and we got his IC number because we got his records. And so we started calling up all the hospitals. And we found him. We found him. Uh, and I never realized this, that this nursing home in Chua Chukang, which is actually like in NUH, they don't have enough rooms in the certain wards. So they actually like subcontract part of it to this fifth floor in a nursing home and found him there. So I, I visited him in, uh, uh, during the Chinese New Year period and I apologize for my Wi-Fi skill. I still need a lot to learn there. And it's just, just, just wonderful. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 12 says, The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. As far as I know, Uncle Tang sleeps very well. If the work is not of the Lord, then abundance, acclaim, adulation from men 
means very little. But if the work is of the Lord, then we do it with abandon. We give ourselves fully to it, lavishly excel in it. You've heard the saying, if it is worth doing, it's worth doing well. If it is worth doing, it's worth doing with abandon, with abounding. So the sleep of a laborer is, is sweet. And in case I've drone on too long and putting you to sleep, I'd like you to stand. Right? We want to sing this song as a worship team to come and help us to stand. But I just want to have a couple more comments, you know. Sometimes our stand is, is firm, but it's not consistent. What, what do I mean? Like, some of us will be very proud to say that in work, I'm never late. I'm never late at work. This is something I stand on. I, you can count on me on being a punctual person, but in church, it's not the same. Right, in church, it's not the same. Or you can say, you know, I'm a fully responsible guy. When my boss asks me to do something, I go beyond his expectation. I'm that kind of a guy. But when it comes to, to church, it's different. From Monday to Saturday, we will never, never break any traffic rules. We park only in proper parking slots. But in church, hey, this Sunday, today we really had a problem. I had to cut into a worship service to announce that there were three cars that were blocking the entrance. After the service was over, we had another car that was blocking the entrance. I thought, what's going on? If this happens next Sunday, we must well forget about Kindy Sunday. No point. We can't even do that, right? So what do we stand firm on? We, we are so proud of so many things. But when it comes to, there is a dichotomy between what we are on Mondays and Fridays, Fridays or Saturdays and sometimes on Sunday we like let our hair down and don't really care after all this is only a church so let's not do that let's honour God more than we honour our bosses let's make this a loving place more than we obey traffic rules or car park rules come let's stand let's use this song I hope it touches our hearts when we think about what the Lord has done for us, therefore we can stand.
But offer this father, oh God, completely to you. So I walk upon salvation, spirit alive within me. This life to declare your promise, my soul now to stand. So what could I say? What could I do? I'll offer this heart at all, God.
but offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So what can I say? So what can I say? And what could I do? Offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. I hope the lyrics of the song stirs your heart to offer your heart to God. But to do that, we need to know. We need to know this God who loves us. So I want to encourage you to make a commitment, to make a stand in applying the Word of God. In reading and hearing and memorizing, meditating. If you're not, you want to start at the first step of a regular Bible reading plan. Then make a stand there. But if you are, then apply it. As we read, we ask, yes, but how? What are we going to do with the Word of God? And apply it and see if there may not be spiritual blessings that will astound you when you obey the Word of God. And then to abound in the work of the Lord, concentrating on the work of the, of the Lord. And so as we examine our lives and what we do, Mondays to Saturdays. Is it of the Lord? Is it of the Lord? If it is, it is worth doing lavishly. Giving ourselves fully to it. Whether it's inside the church or outside the church, there is no difference. It is of the Lord. So make a stand. Make a commitment. Let me just pray using the words of 2 Thessalonians as a benediction. And may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Go with God now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.